I'm, I thought my mic is, my mic, my mic's on, baby. Uh, we'll work on it. We're going to start a new series. There you go. Uh, we're going to start a new series today about identity, about personal identity, and we're going to call it, Who Do You Think You Are? And I don't know if we have a slide, but you, there you go, have a slide. Uh, and I want to introduce this whole, this whole issue of identity with uh, a character from a, a TV series that recently uh, closed, but it was, a, I think, a seven or eight-year series uh, called Mad Men. How many of you guys saw, ever saw Mad Men? But some of you don't want to admit it. That's okay. You're among friends. The whole series was about, uh, revolved around this character named Don Draper. All right. My hero, Don Draper. And if you didn't watch the series carefully, you might not know uh, the narrative about this. It was about an advertising, uh, an advertising agency in New York City set in the 1950s and early 60s. And Don Draper was one of the, the key executives. And uh, it was a drama. But Don Draper's character was fascinating in a lot of ways, which I don't want to get into all of them. Uh, and... You know, and, and I have to say this sometimes because I get letters. In, in using a story like this, uh, uh, that TV show does not necessarily represent the views of the leadership of the vineyard. <laughs> we just want to get that straightened out now so you can save the email. But, uh, yeah, Don Draper was not going to be an elder in our church. Don Draper... Uh, his character was really conflicted. He is a, a really unusual kind of a character. And what makes characters uh, interesting is that, that uh, they're unusual, but that you can connect with them. And I, w- I chose to introduce our, my, this talk I want to do today on our identity with John, Don Draper because I think he is a perfect example of... Uh, what we struggle with as human beings in general, but particularly in the United States. Don Draper, uh, his story began when uh, he was born, and his character was born to a prostitute. And his, so his mom was a prostitute, his dad was an abusive alcoholic. And when Don Draper was 10 years old, his dad got kicked in the face by a mule. He couldn't make this up. And he died. And his mom uh, had to move in with some, uh, I'm sorry, his mom died when he was born. He ended up being raised by this family that ran a whorehouse. And uh, the story just goes down, 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 down. I mean, it was a, he, he just had a, a really sort of tragic uh, upbringing. And so when you see this character, uh, what you don't know about him was, was Don Draper <coughs> was raised... Dick Whitman, and when he was in the Korean War, he quit high school, he volunteered for the Korean War, and as the story goes, in the Korean War, he was serving, uh, building a field hospital with uh, this, this lieutenant who was pretty well respected, and I think they're, they're, where they were working was shelled by the North Koreans, and the lieutenant was killed, and he was injured. But before anybody could come and rescue, you know, come and, and uh, uh, tend to them, he saw an opportunity, and he took his dog tags off and put them on the dead lieutenant, and he took the dead lieutenant's dog tags, and he assumed his identity. And he, because of his injury, he was sent home. And so he became Don Draper. And he did this because his life was such a mess, he just felt like no one would ever... Love me. I'm not going to get anywhere in life being Dick Whitman, so I need to become Don Draper. I need to become somebody else. And that narrative is a narrative that, that we are all influenced by because we all have a parts of our lives and sometimes just huge swaths of our lives that we don't like. And it isn't just that we don't like them. Other people don't like them. Now, whether or not it should be that way. It, it is that way. And so we do, we do what Dick Whitman did. We try to put on a Don Draper. 
We try to become somebody different than who we are. We try to hide the worst parts of ourselves and, and accentuate the best parts. And, or if those good parts are not acceptable to people, then we try to find some and manufacture some other parts. Because we've got to make it in life. And a lot of times who we think we are and who people have told us we are, there's just no future and not much future in that. And so we adapt and change and, and morph and hide and, and then we don't know who we are. And there's this huge struggle uh, that, that's gone on for centuries with people trying to figure out who are we? Who am I? Now, in cultures where day-to-day living was more of a struggle, just eking out an existence, these sort of existential questions were not really a hot item. But as people became more self-sufficient society became more comfortable. We, had, uh, all, we, had, we didn't worry about where the next meal was going to come from. These kinds of questions became a lot more at the core of what we were wrestling with in life. Now, the problem is when we do this and we become Don Draper or a female version of Don Draper, it just doesn't work. And I want to explain to you today why it doesn't work. And this quiet but continual challenge we have to find who we are, to solve that dilemma, Jesus really has the answer to that, but it isn't always an answer that immediately presents itself to you with the gospel. So what I want to do is I want to look at a pivotal story in the Gospel of Matthew. And I don't know if you've ever heard anybody, I don't think I've ever uh, taught from this passage this way. But I think it says something about identity that's really important for us to hear as we wrestle with trying to figure out who we are and who we're supposed to be. So uh, underneath the chair seat in front of you, there's paperback Bibles. If you could open them up to Mark chapter 16, we're going to start in verse 13. I'm sorry, not Mark, Matthew. I said Matthew, didn't I? I'm going to say it again. Matthew, verse 13. I'll start reading. It says, When Jesus came to the region of, the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do, you, who do people say the Son of Man, or who am I? They said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But, Jesus says, what about you? Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you, you, plural, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he warned his disciples, don't tell anyone that he was the Christ. Now, there's three things I want want to point out in this. First, the confusion about identity. Confusion about identity. They were confused about Jesus' identity. They were confused about their own identity. Confusion about who we are has been around a long time. But That's the first thing we'll see in this. The second thing is, we're going to see Jesus' amazing sense of his own identity. This amazingly secure person named Jesus was so different than everybody else in every way. It it really stands out here, and especially with respect to identity. Then third, Peter gets a, a total identity makeover in this story here. Something happens to him that all of us wish could happen to us if we understand what's happening here. So I want to look at those three three things. The confusion we have about identity, Jesus' amazingly secure sense of identity, which none of us have, and then third, this makeover, this identity makeover that Peter experienced in this. So identity is is important uh, for one simple reason. And, I mean, there's a lot we could say about identity. If you, if you just go and Google identity or personal identity, you will be overwhelmed 
at how much is written about this. It's a very broad subject. We're going to just deal with it on a very personal level. And we're not going to look at it from an academic point of view either. It's going to be very, very just about us. At the heart of our identity is our identity is how we get the things that we need for life met. On the most fundamental level, your identity is about how you make it through life. Not just how you get on a plane or how you open a bank account or the name you're known by in your family. It's, it's way more fundamental than that. And this is why we are so stressed about our identity. Because there are some basic necessities of your soul. The, the basic food groups, in a sense, of your soul are you need to be loved and to love others. You need security. You need significance. You need belonging. You need purpose. You need, I think I gave six thirds. Did I forget one? You need understanding. Those are the, the basic necessities of your soul. And your identity is crucial to getting those met because you can't meet them yourself. God's the ultimate source, but he uses people and and the world around us as resources to meet those needs in our lives. But here's the problem. When, When we need security, which everybody needs, for example, one of the things that we'll do is we will work hard and often way too long and too many hours. And so we sabotage the very relationships that we're trying to to earn enough money to protect and provide for. Because we don't have a a really good sense of security, a place where we get our security. And so we will sacrifice a lot to get security. For, there's another one. So we need to be loved and to love others. So we get into relationships that are really damaging to our souls and undermining to us. They rob from us. Sometimes our need to be loved and to love others is so bad. We get into these, you know, what, what is often popularly called codependent relationships where we depend on people. They're a mess, but we feel good about ourselves when we help them and we get drawn into just a, a, a world of quicksand that, that ends our lives and ruins them. But our need to be loved and to love is so significant that we're willing to stay in those relationships and the relationships just become um, cannibalistic and, and destructive. But our need is so great, and we don't have any other place to get it, so we're willing to endure that. Uh, We need to feel significant, so we chase success. And all the symbols that success gives us, because if we have, you know, the kind of clothes that a group of people that we want to impress wear or prove of, then it, it... gives us access to those people and their, their sense of their opinion about us matters. So we just work and work and work and work and work and work and work. And our need for significance will never go away because it's something we need in our life. It's not a bad thing. And work is meant by God to become one of the places that we find a certain amount of significance in our life. It's a gift from God. We're meant to work. And it's meant to provide that. But if that's the only place you get it, that's a big mistake. Um, One more, just one more. We need to belong. We need to have community and family, people that that know us, whom we know we're deeply connected to and intimate. We're driven to find that. But we have parts of ourselves that are, you know, not very attractive. And so we hide that part of ourselves, and, so our, and so people don't get to know us as well as they could, and we're afraid. 
to let them know who we are. So we're drawn to community, and then we hide who we are. And then we're frustrated with the relationships that we have because we're hiding, and they're hiding. And it's, you know, two porcupines hugging. It doesn't work very well. So we, none of the things that, that we tend to find these needs met in are bad. But they can't be the only source that we look to. That can't be the only resource in your life where you find those needs met. Because here's the thing. If you put your need for significance in your job, just remember this. Even if you're the boss, anybody can lose their job. Then what do you do? Then you're crushed. If some broken relationship is the main way you feel good about yourself and helping that person and being there for them, and something happens to that relationship, then it's, it's like cutting off your oxygen. And we, when these things are threatened, the things that we put our identity in, or, or we're willing to change to get what we need from those sources, when we do that, we just guarantee that eventually we're going to be disappointed, it's going to break down, and then we're going to live in a crisis. And many of you know what I'm talking about. I'm, I'm talking about how we all live right now. And this is the emotion that we're all so familiar with that is at the heart of this is when the source of something we really need gets threatened, the, uh, the key emotion you always experience is fear. Fear just rises up in you and you start going, oh my gosh, because this thing is so important, I can't lose it. Now, it's, it's not unimportant. Don't hear me saying that. I, I just want to stress that. It's not unimportant. It's a good, most always, it's something good that God made. But it's become a bigger part of our lives than it was meant to be. And then when its relationship to us is threatened, we're stressed. We're afraid. And, I mean, we're even devastated if we lose it. And not that it wouldn't be painful to lose your job, but your world doesn't completely collapse when you lose your job unless your identity is completely in your job. Then your world does collapse. I'm a writer. I'm a mom. I'm a you know, dentist. I'm a whatever. No, you are not what you do. If your identity is in what you do, you have placed it in the wrong thing. And so... These people didn't know who Jesus was. But in this story, knowing who Jesus was was the key to Peter figuring out who he was and getting his life turned right side up. And if, if we have, a, a, in contrast to our crisis of identity that, that I've just described, and the insecurity we live with, Jesus... <coughs> was totally different. If you read the Gospels, and we're not going to read all of them, but one of the things I'm just, uh, I'm not going to, actually, I'm not going to read any of them and cite any of this. I'm just going to take for granted that, that many of you have read this or you have some idea of what kind of person Jesus was. But people, what Jesus did that, that we don't do is he wasn't phased by what other people thought of him at all. He just wasn't. People thought this about him, he was fine with it. People thought that about him, he was fine with it. And he had this ability, and this is, this is, this is the, the standard we're shooting for is, he had the ability to be completely who he was, yet stay deeply connected to people. And no matter what was going on with them, it didn't affect who he was. And it didn't affect him staying connected to them. That's where we all struggle, is when people around us push our buttons, we move away from them. And to some degree, it's natural in certain respects. But what happens is it threatens our sense of who we are. We should be able to carry around inside us a sense, a secure sense of who we are that we bring into every relationship that's, that's a base, a foundation from which we live and that we're not 
moved by the fickleness of everybody around us because we're fickle too. But we have to have, we're meant to have that. We, in, in one sense, we all know it's possible. We just don't know how to get there. Well, Peter found out that Jesus was the key to this. And it, he didn't know as this passage opened what was going to happen. But in this, Jesus, was, Jesus always asked people questions. He always asked these deep, probing questions. And an attorney told me once, he said, John, when I, when I have to uh, ask questions, I always know the answer to every question I ask or I don't ask it because I don't want to be surprised, especially in court. But if we're taking a deposition, we, we probably have a pretty good idea of what the answer to this question is. We just want to get the person on record. Well, Jesus knew what who he was. So he wasn't asking Peter to say, Peter, tell me who I am. That's what a lot of us do. We, want, we, we, we go around in our life and we want people to tell us who we are because we feel inside we're not sure of who we are. We need encouragement. Well, encouragement is not a bad thing, but I shouldn't be able to totally make or break your sense of identity by any statement I make or anything I do or don't do. We're not meant to live that way. We can't be that fragile, yet we are. There are relationships in your life where your life would be broken if that relationship cracked up. I don't mean it would just be hard that you'd get over it eventually. I mean, boom, your life would crash and burn. Could be with your kids, could be with a spouse, could be a work relationship, could be any number of things. It could be a relationship with a a substance or a thing or a process. Because that's part of the confused thinking we get into is we think, I can't live without, and then fill in the blank. Well, the secret to Jesus' identity, I want to go back in Matthew and read this little story. It says, when Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John... John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you, do you come to me? Jesus said, it's, let it be so now. It's proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. So as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. So he was immersed, in, and he came up out of the water. And at that moment, it said, heaven was open, and he saw the Spirit of God descend like a dove and land on him and rest on him. And then everyone heard this voice. This is my son, who I love, with whom I'm pleased. And so, let me just tell you something about this scene. Because where, where Jesus was baptized uh, in, the, uh, in the Jordan River is where the Jordan River emptied into the Dead Sea. And the Dead Sea is, is I still think, it's the lowest place on earth. And it's a salt sea where the Jordan River... Uh, Fresh water empties into it, and the, if you've ever seen pictures of it, the salt sea is just in a unique body of water. You can, you can lay in it, and you can't sink. It just holds you up. It's, it's interesting. And there's a, the river runs into the salt sea, and there's cliffs on either side because, you know, the river's eroded uh, the, the ground and the rock. And we have, we have from Josephus and other people uh, stories about what it was like when John the Baptist baptized people down there. And he baptized them in the lowest place on earth. And all, the whole picture was full of symbol. All the people who were really the messed up riffraff of Israel would go down there to be baptized because John was saying the Messiah is coming and God's salvation is coming and God's judgment's coming and you need to repent and you need to be baptized to express your change of heart to prepare yourself to welcome the Messiah when he comes. And so everybody had to go down there and they would go down in the water and John would would be there in the water with them and they would confess their sins publicly and then John would baptize them. Now, number one, Jews up to that point weren't baptized. That was something that Gentiles did in order to convert to Judaism. So the Gentiles were so morally messed up that the Jews had to figure out a way to 
communicate that to them, that they had to understand their standing before God was not like the Jews who were born into families of believers and they had the covenants and God was with them. Everybody else in the world didn't have that kind of uh, privilege. And so they used to say, if you Gentiles, and they called them Gentile dogs, if you Gentile dogs want to become part of Israel, part of God's people, you have to submit to being baptized. And it was kind of a humiliating thing. And there's stories in the Old Testament where, uh, like Naaman the Syrian general, he was, a, he was an officer, uh, the prophet came out and said, you need, if you want to be healed of your leprosy, you need to go to this river and dip seven times and you'll be healed. Well, the guy got ticked off. Why should I have to do that? You know, it was like, here, it was a, some sort of a statement about, I'm, I'm a filthy person. And so John took that whole thing and turned it around and said, you Jews think because Abraham's your father, there's nothing wrong with you, but you are as morally bankrupt Everybody is morally bankrupt, just like you think only the Gentiles are. You don't have a special place because you have a rich spiritual heritage. Your hearts are all, each of you, corrupt before God, and you need to repent, and you need, to, you need God to do something for you that you can't do for yourself. And baptism was a symbol of it. You need to have a complete change of heart and life to be acceptable to God. And so this thing was, a, was the start of that. But it was a picture. John kept promising. He said, I'm going to baptize you with water. But what I'm doing is just a picture of what God's going to do because the Messiah is going to come one day. And he's not going to baptize you with water. He's going to baptize you with, his, with the Spirit of God, meaning the Spirit who is just with our people and on a few famous people is going to be in everybody. When the, everybody who embraces the Messiah is going to have God living in them. He's going to go from the temple that we all revere and honor, and he's going to take up his residence in each of you. And he's going to change your life. Because baptism was a picture. It, it, it carried in it the symbolic picture of going underwater was like being buried. And coming out of the water or coming out of the grave was a picture of rebirth, of resurrection, of, new, of starting life over. So you're dead in your sins, and now you're resurrected. And so John was saying, listen, this is a big deal. So Jesus went down to be baptized. And John looked at him, being an acute judge of character, and said, you don't need to be baptized. In fact, I need to be baptized by you. And because Jesus, he saw in Jesus the flawless character, the, the sinlessness of this person, the one person he'd ever encountered who was sinless. And he said, I need you to baptize me. And it was a, it was a real big moment. That's why each of the Gospels records it. And, well, John doesn't record it that way, but Matthew, Mark, and Luke do. And what they say is, Jesus came out of the water and God showed up. Because Jesus was identifying with us, sinful human beings. He was going down and being baptized like we're called to be as a statement that we need our old way of life to be rid of and we need a new way of life and we need help if we're ever going to get there. That we can't do it on our own. And then we have to publicly come out and admit it. And so it's like a new life starts with brutal honesty. And then it's meant to be lived in the freedom that honesty brings. But it starts with the, the only way we'll ever be honest is if we feel safe. You guys know that? If you think of the people that you're most honest with, they're people that you feel like will love you and accept you right where you are. And that's what the gospel, the whole gospel is about, is that God meets us where we are. He says, you don't have to change to receive my grace, my favor, my love, all the good I have for you in your life. You just have to admit you can't change without help. And you have to look to me to provide that which you can't provide for yourself. And so what made Jesus and what made his character and his identity so amazing 
and what he's calling us into. Because this is the thing. When he came up out of the water, we got a glimpse of why he had such a secure identity. And it's what we don't have, but what God invites us into. This is what you're being invited into this morning. The father said to Jesus, before he had done a miracle, taught anything, before anything that would make him famous ever happened, the father said, this is my son. He established his identity. Our identity is about our relationship. Our identity comes from family. He said, this is my son whom I love. He loved Jesus before Jesus did anything famous. All the things that we love people for, Jesus had not done one of them at that point. And I'm well pleased with him. And so that, that is where God meets us. Because all around Jesus were all the other people who were utter failures, messed up, morally wrecked people. And literally, up on the banks of the river, the stories, the religious people would come and stand on the banks of the river, the ones who thought, I'm okay with God. And all the people who knew they weren't okay with God would come down into the river, and it was almost a little bit like a show. It was like entertainment. You know, there's a famous painting, I can't think of the name of it right now, or the painter, about the king and queen of England, and a lot of the, in the, in the uh, 1700s, late 1700s, a lot of the uh, rich and famous in, in England and London, after church on Sunday, they would go down to the insane asylums to look and laugh at the people who were insane. And that was what this was like when John was baptizing people. All the righteous people were up on the cliff, looking down at all the people who were messed up. And Jesus went right down into those people and said, I'm going to identify with the worst people. Because the people who are willing to admit that they're sick are the ones that need a doctor. And the ones that think they're okay don't need me. I came for them too. They're just as bad as these people, but they just won't be honest about it. These people will be honest about it. And so they are my people. They are the ones that I came for. And, and, you know, he said over and over, I came for everybody. But the ones that end up experiencing it were the ones that Jesus went down in the water to identify with. John saw, and all of them saw in Jesus, Jesus' identity was established by his father's love for him. And what the father said about him, that gave him this secure sense of who he was that nothing could move. Nothing could shake. No matter what someone said about him, it didn't matter because God was the source of the security he needed. God was the source of the love he needed. God was the source of the significance he craved. God was the source of the purpose and the understanding and the belonging. He had a resource in God that was limitless that his father freely gave him And so it allowed him to have these deep relationships with people and not be moved or thrown by their fickleness, their their ups and downs. Because they were important in his life, but his foundation was based on what his father said about him. And it was this incredibly sure thing. And as he walked through his life and, and the winds... I used to go surfing, and we had a, uh, one of my friends had a Volkswagen. And I don't know if you've ever been in a Volkswagen bus. I mean, a Volkswagen, well, a bus or a Volkswagen Beetle. But we'd have five guys my size in this VW. And we'd have five or six surfboards on top of it. And we would, in, in the Gulf Coast, the, you know, it wasn't very good surf. But when there was surf, it was because when there were storms. And we literally used to go surfing when the hurricanes were coming towards us and the police were telling everybody to come off the beach. And we'd just stay out in the water so that they couldn't arrest us. And uh, it was really windy. And these VW bugs, 
you, we'd be riding in it like this, and the wind would hit us. You, you, you'd come out from behind some trees, and the, the, the Gulf Coast is very flat. And the wind would hit it, and you could feel, the car would go, whoa. And my friend Paul is driving, and he'd just churn the car. You know, it's like we're going down the road, the wind's coming this way, and the car is driving like this. Because <laughs> the wind is pushing against it. And we have winds like that that we face that just push, they're a constant push on his life. Jesus went through his life, and you see the winds hitting him, it was like he wasn't moved. We're moved constantly. Because we don't have that secure identity that comes from God alone. We want it. Sometimes we, ha- we have a hold of it, but we don't know how to, to live it out. Well, when, when, when Peter answered Jesus' question, who do people say I am? At that point, somewhere right around this moment, Peter realized Jesus was the Messiah. And he realized that because God showed it to him. Because you can't figure out who Jesus is unless God reveals who Jesus is. Jesus said, nobody knows the Father unless the Son reveals him to, the, to that person. And nobody knows the, Father, uh, knows the Son unless the Father reveals him. So the whole thing of figuring out who God is, it's a work of God. But it, it isn't that we don't have anything to do with it. It's we respond to the invitation of God, and then God does his work. Because God's working in us to make us want to even respond to the invitation. So when Simon confesses Christ, something happens. And Simon, it says, if you read it, the order of this, it Jesus met Simon, and he says, you're going to be called Peter, back in in John 1, when he first met Peter. But Peter had this name, Simon Peter. And in in Hebrew, Simon meant hearing or listening. And if you know Peter, Peter was not a a listen-first kind of guy. He was like a big mouth, say whatever he wants, doesn't matter if it's inappropriate, uh, whether he was right or wrong. He was, you know, he was an... He was an unpredictable, unreliable, big-mouthed guy. And his name, Simon, did not suit him at all. And Jesus said, because you now know who I am, which implied this, this new, a deeper relationship, you're, now you're Peter. You're Peter. And Peter meant rock. Now, we know, this is the interesting thing, we know at this point, Peter has yet to encounter the temptation and deny Christ three times. He didn't look like a rock. But see, grace is not about our character. It is something that God gives us that then starts changing our character. It is a gift. The security that that Jesus had in his relationship with the Father is it the root of what grace gives us in our lives? We're all Simon. We're all unreliable. But when you come to Jesus, God gives you a new name. It's a famous part of the Old Testament. God gave Abraham a new name. God gave Jacob a new name. It was, it was something that happened that, that pictured that God was doing something in their life that they couldn't bring about. And it was his gift to them. It was his kindness and goodness to them. And so what what grace does is it gives us, as a gift, this new secure identity as a child of God and all the benefits that come from that. Like in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it says, If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. Old things have passed away, and new things have come from God. It's this amazing gift that God gives us, that, that, that when we're baptized, which is a picture of when we receive Christ, God says to you, when you're in Christ, you are my beloved child, who I love, who is pleasing to me as a gift. Not because of any good thing that you've done. It's because of what Jesus did. The good things that he did are credited to you. And you're accepted by a perfect God on the basis of what his perfect son did for you on the cross. 
that he paid for your past, present, and future failures. And he suffered and died for you so you could be free. And part of it is you get a new identity. And the rest of your Christian life is this. If if you want to understand what the whole Christian life is about, it is about becoming who you are. Now, if that kind of makes you go, well, hold on, say that again. (laughs) It is about becoming who you are. God gives you a new identity. It It looks like the same you. Feels like the same you, but something's changed inside. And you're not just given a new identity, but I'll read another passage. In Romans 8, Paul, and this is because this is what the promise of uh, John the Baptist, Jesus, everybody, repeat this over and over. You didn't receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the Holy Spirit of adoption, the Holy Spirit of sonship. And by him, or with the Spirit's help, we cry out to God, Daddy, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And if we are his children, then we are his heirs. That we have a whole inheritance that God has for us as his children. And that the Spirit of God, and this is what we're going to close with today, the Spirit of God is God living in you, who's making everything that Jesus did for you real to you and helping you to become who you already are. Give you a picture of it. When Jesus was crucified, I've said this before, there's, there were two thieves crucified on either side of him. Crucifixion was reserved for only the worst kinds of crimes. And so Jesus is crucified in the middle, one on either side. One of the thieves, they, they both are mocking him, it, it, what the Gospels describe. But at a certain point, one of the thieves, as he watched Jesus suffer, Something came over him, and he came to this sense of, this is not a criminal like us. And he had some sense, maybe he'd heard Jesus preaching, he, he grasped it, but he said to Jesus, Jesus, remember me, which is, that's a covenant word. Remember me. I'm putting my faith in you. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus turns to him and says, today you're going to be with me in paradise. That thief who had done heinous acts is forgiven at that moment. He is given a new identity at that moment because of his faith in Jesus. And his relationship with God changes. Even though one second before that, he was a heinous criminal person. And there were probably people in the crowd who who he'd offended, who he, you know, Maybe he had committed a murder as he was robbing someone. And yet God forgave him because of what Jesus did, that Jesus paid that price that covers every, all the guilt that we all have. And he gives us a new identity. And, and the Spirit then comes, and as we pursue Jesus and intimacy with Jesus and following Jesus, the Holy Spirit works in our hearts, and keeps reinforcing the significance we need, the love we need, the sense of belonging we need, the sense of understanding we need, the sense of purpose, the sense of love. It comes into our hearts directly from God and then through people around us. But when people around us don't do the part that God meant for them to play in our lives, we're not left bereft of any hope. We have a relationship with God by His Spirit living in us that we can experience that love, even on our own. And Jesus said, I won't. Everybody else will leave you. I will never leave you or forsake you. And the love that you've experienced for me, all those, those necessities of our soul, the core longings that, that, that we saw Him meet every, in everybody's life, He continues to meet those in our life in real time by the Spirit. But here's what we have to do. I'm going to close here. We're gonna, I'm going to ask you to do something. Jay, pass these out for me. Maybe a couple of people here. Uh, take, take that half, take that half. We're just going to do something to close the service with. And uh, where's Jason Brooke? You guys come up and just play. What I want to ask you to do is 
if we're going to experience the, the grace that God has for us, we've all got to own our inner Don Draper. All right? That's how I'm going to try to phrase it. I couldn't think of a character, a female character, who was as overtly perfect for this talk as Don Draper. So forgive me, ladies, if I didn't find someone messed up. You, you should feel better that men are more messed up than women anyway. So what we have to do is we need to admit, as a way of life, because confession is an ongoing thing, and it, we need to admit as a way of life the reason why we're disconnected with God The reason why we don't have God as our source is we've all chosen to go our own way. We've all chosen to live life on our own terms. And foolishly, I admit, and and tragically, and pitiably, I admit too. But... That doesn't absolve us of the responsibility that we, in going our own way, we've rebelled against the good will of our good, good Father. And we've wrecked our lives and the lives of other people all around us. And God holds us accountable. And he says, it's a relationship with me that will give you everything you need. And you don't have to manipulate, and you don't have to lie, you don't have to cheat and steal and just focus selfishly. I will give you those things. If you'll come to me, but you have to lay down your arms. That's the terms, God's terms with us is you have to lay down your arms. So you have to admit to God that you've been living life on your own terms and you want to lay down that. And you want to begin to enter in this relationship with him through Jesus. And the, so the A part is admit that. The B, it's ABC. The B part is you need to believe that what Jesus did, the life he lived, He did it for you because of how you live. And that at any moment in your life, there's some one of those core longings that's in play, that you're hungering for. And that's when our inner Don Draper kicks in, and we feel like we got to be somebody else to get that met. And we're not being honest about where we are, who we are, our struggles, the, the, the good, bad, and ugly parts of us. God loves them all. He accepts them all. There's, there's consequences for the things that we're doing. But w- with respect to him, he offers us just a clean sweep when we trust Jesus. But the B part is you have to believe that Jesus will give you what your heart's longing for. And you have to say, I'm going to start going to him and I'm not going to play the game anymore. And then the C part, the A, B, C, is you need to openly confess that, that I am following Jesus, that I've made, I've invited Jesus into my life to be the center of my life and to be the Lord of my life. And then I'm going to walk that out as, as unapologetically and unashamedly as I know how. But this is, what we have to do, oh, these are the, the ABCs of what we do as a way of life. But there's a time where we start doing it. And maybe you've already done this, but you never realized, you never made the connection between the need you have for security in your life and your identity in Christ. I hope I connected those two today. And what I want you to do is, I want you to take one of those cards, and I'm going to give you just... 30 seconds here. Maybe it's already come to mind. Most people, when, we do, when I've done this before, they're already thinking of, of something. What in your heart, like for me, it's significance. That's always a big thing in my life, significance. Not the only thing. But when I'm doing my inner Don Draper, it's always about significance. I need to feel significant, and I'm feeling a deficit of it. And so I'm willing to pull my inner Don Draper in some way and not be who I am and where I am and feel it and let other people know it and then let Jesus into it and let the Holy Spirit meet me in that empty place and that painful place in my life. What we want to do today is I want you to take that card and we're going to start with A then we're going to start with B and communion's going to be B. 
And C is those whose hearts have been touched in some specific way and are willing to, you know, maybe be a little more vulnerable. We want to invite you up front to just get briefly prayed for, for the Holy Spirit to come and touch that part of your heart that you feel an emptiness in. So you're going to take, I'm going to give you a minute or two to do this. And, and this is, you all have the, I hope you don't, but, but you all have the freedom to pass doing any of this. Okay? Doing this kind of stuff is not about earning anything from God. It does have, there is, there is power in things that you do. But you're not doing what I'm asking you to do to please anybody. And you're certainly not earning any favor with God. It's more for your own soul. It's like Sabbath is for us. We're not made for the Sabbath. It's made for us. And this is the, this is the kingdom of God in Jesus. He's, he's so different. He's so different than, than the religious Jesus. He's so different than the religious Jesus that a lot of us have been turned off to. What I want you to do is, Jay, let me have one of those. I want you to write the core longing, that necessity of your soul, whatever it is. For me, it'd be significance. And let the Lord speak to you. It might not. And I want you to come up here. I want you to put it on here. There's two nails. Just nail it on that. And say, Jesus, you died so I could have that in my life. I don't have to starve. I don't have to beg. I don't have to, to, to submit myself to, to degrading things to get that. It comes from you. I don't have to be a slave to someone anymore. But I want to admit that I have been. I have made myself a slave so I could get that. And that's why you went to the cross. And so I'm going to admit you did this for me. And you're just going to hang it up there. Then you come and take communion, and you're saying, Jesus, I believe that you are the bread of life. You are what I put on that cross. It's in you. It's in a a relationship with you. It's in meeting you face to face. And And I'm taking communion. And we have, the church has this power. We carry God's presence with us and in us. You, you're going to meet him here when you put your need on the cross. You're going to meet him here in the bread and the wine, the new covenant he makes with us through his shed blood. Then you're going to meet him. There's going to be people standing up here that you come for prayer for. And I just want you to say, I'm hungry for security. I need security. And all they're going to do is they're going to invite the Holy Spirit to come and touch you. And they're going to bless you with his presence that will fill your heart and begin to meet your need for security and take you on a journey, another leg in the journey of your life where that will become something you experience from Jesus and you're not dependent on any person or anything or whatever for that.